I don't know what we'll do for a cold open. Um, we might not have a cold open this week. I don't think I heard one. Maybe, maybe not. Don't worry if there's not one. Uh, but there's got to be one, Brian. Welcome to episode 350 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, we're back. Kind of trying to do normal again. (laughs) Back-ish. Yeah, I mean, I guess peek behind the curtain. We thought about canceling this week. Not really sure how to proceed. Last week was shit. This week is still shit. Protests are still going. Uh, Marshall, I don't know. We talked about it a little bit before the show, Mm -hmm. but... How do, how do I say this without sounding like we should be complacent? It's like, I feel kind of hopeful by how things have progressed this week. Like from from the time we recorded last week to the time right now, we're actually seeing shit happen. Like legislation is being proposed. Who knows if it'll go through? Minneapolis unanimously voted to defund their uh, police organization. Mm-hmm. Bad shit is happening, but it's being captured in a way that I think is changing the momentum of and like the the goodwill towards the movement. Yep. That's my perception on social media. Does that sound right to you? And again, this is not to say, ah, it's over. We're no. back. Like life is grand. Yeah. No, this is like, it's a, we're pushing a boulder, right? Like we're all collectively trying to push this massive boulder that has been sitting still for a long, long time. And it's starting to move a little tiny bit, starting to move. We're all pushing, starting to move. That is not the time to stop pushing. That is the time to keep pushing because eventually they'll start moving faster and faster. And then you get a boulder going downhill. So yeah, uh, I I feel like there's the first indications of slight movement on the boulder, but got to keep pushing. Yeah. So maybe let's just say before we get into it, uh, we'll have links to last week's show notes and I'm going to add on to those. I'll, I'll edit those show notes with more links, but we have books, articles, resources, places to donate, people to follow, like go click those links. So show notes here and show notes for last week's episode. But you know, now's not the time to stop. So keep donating, keep protesting, keep reading, keep talking to family members and and the people around you. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we, we thought about canceling today, but we feel like there's some topical things we can talk about that are interesting and have a design angle. And it might give us a way to just sort of like get back into a routine here. Mm. I don't know. And also, you know, we got people who are giving us money every month and they deserve episodes. So yeah, yeah. Also, just on that note, last thing. Uh, before we move on, we are, as we mentioned last week, all the Patreon revenue from last month has been donated. So Marshall and I are, I don't know if we need to like necessarily tweet receipts or anything, but donations have occurred. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Money has been dispersed. We said uh, we'd do it. We did it. It's done. We follow through, Brian. Yay. It happens every once in a while. So speaking of that, uh, Patreon, um, we do have some shout outs this week. It's actually two weeks. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So this is everybody who's supported us over the last two weeks. First of all, shout out to Float. Float is a tool to help you visualize who's working on what and when. They help you organize uh, projects and schedule your team's time with confidence. You can learn more at float.com slash design details. Start saving yourself some time. We also have two weeks uh, worth of supporters here. The cool thing about this is all these supporters, uh, money is flowing through to organizations who need it. So I hope that makes makes this feel a little bit better. Uh, Shout out to Douglas Hill, Gabe De La Mora, 
James Jackson, Cassidy Chong, Cameron Deerdorf, Jessica Tong, Bailey Jennings, Chris with a K, Ola Drachel, Nate Kadaktra Chong, Matthias Klug, Ben, Maggie Manville, Andy No, and Matt Cool. Fuck yeah. Matt Cool. Matt cool. I get compliments for having the last name Lovin, mm-hmm. but I can't imagine this fellow's life mm-hmm. navigating planet Earth with the last name Cool. That's like setting expectations like before you've even walked in the door. That's yeah. high stakes, high risk, high reward. You it's know? like uh, Max Power. Remember from The Simpsons? <laughs> yeah. Max Power. Yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of alliteration this episode too. Uh, James Jackson, Maggie Manville, it's good stuff. Yeah, I love it. Well, thank you everybody for for becoming patrons. Welcome to the to the fam. You very important pixels. You. If you didn't know, the this podcast is a listener supported show. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash design details. And if you subscribe for just a dollar a month, part of the deal is every episode you get access to a secret segment called the sidebar. The sidebar. And this week, we talked about weaponizing hashtags, co-opting social media movements, and solving hard problems in product design. I guess those would be kind of how we encapsulate this challenging topic. It's a fun sidebar. Uh, if you want to check it out, go to patreon.com slash design details. Thanks, everyone, for supporting the show. Mm-hmm. Okay, main topic. Let's keep the social media train rolling. I've got another topic for us, Marshall. Uh, last week, a few things happened on Twitter, again, with unintended consequences. And I find these to be fascinating moments for us to learn from. Okay, so Donald Trump made a few tweets. Two of them were about mail-in ballots and their legitimacy and voter fraud and the ramblings of a madman. Anyways, Twitter came along and on, on two of those tweets, they appended a small note a blue link that said, get the facts about mail-in ballots. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the first thing that happened. The second thing that happened was the Trump press team tweeted a video in memoriam of George Floyd, and it got flagged for copyright, and then Twitter took it down, basically. You, you couldn't view the media of that tweet that came out of the White House. Mm-hmm. What I thought was most interesting about these two is the case where social media companies, I don't know how they win here. Because from my angle, this is Twitter trying to do the right thing. But what happened was by appending these fact check notices and by adhering to the copyright claim, the underlying content got way more attention than it otherwise would have, right? Like Mm -hmm. by adding the fact check to the two tweets, it got republished in every magazine probably in the world, front page of the New York Times, screenshots of it in the New York Times. Everybody's talking about it. Social media versus Trump. When really, I think the ultimate goal was probably to not have as much attention go to the misrepresented statements. Well, I I mean, regardless of whether you read any of those stories or heard any of that talk, I think the harder problem is that when when you land on that page, there's ambiguity as to what that blue text actually means, right? Yes. So yeah. Trump says something, and then below it it says, get the facts about that thing he just talked about, right? Does that mean, hey, he just misstated some things and there's some falsehoods above, so get the facts about what's, what's, what he's actually talking about? Or you could also interpret it as, 
Yeah, everything he said above was true. And here's here's more if you'd like to learn more about the stuff he talked about <laughs> above, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep learning about how mail-in ballots are fraudulent. <laughs> yeah, is it a is it a fact check or is it a learn more? And it, and it was a little bit ambiguous the language. It's really fucking hard to do. You know, I'm not trying to like blame anybody. And and I think their the intention was good, but just like we were talking about in the sidebar, like the intention is not necessarily indicative of the outcome, right? Yeah, and man, I can't imagine those copywriters must have stayed up all night. Ugh. Thinking about every single word there. Code red. Yeah, yeah. I feel, yeah, it sucks. But, okay, so I think the the fun part about this is we got to dig into a little bit of, like, internet psychology as a result of this. Mm -hmm. Because what immediately came to mind for me was the Streisand effect. And for people who don't know, let me tell you what that is. Uh, The Streisand effect is a social phenomenon. I'm reading off Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. That occurs when an attempt to hide, remove, or censor information has the unintended consequence of further publicizing that information. So this happened because uh, in the early 2000s, Barbara Streisand was trying to get photos of her house off the internet. But by doing that, the photos just got spread more. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that phenomenon reminded me of what's happening here with Tweet, right? Like In trying to reduce attention, we've only amplified the attention. And... Now that the precedent has been set that Twitter's willing to put labels or buttons alongside the president's tweet, I think this is only, I mean, it probably only could ever happen this way. Like as soon as some UI is introduced next to this specific person's user-generated content, any additional changes, modifications, copy changes, new buttons, all these things are going to have massive ripples in the press cycle. And we're only going to know about every single thing more. And I think, you know, this ties back to the hashtag white lives matter. Like, are people going to interpret this in the way that Twitter wants them to interpret it? Mm -hmm. Or is this just going to validate the things that are being fact checked here? Yeah, we have other psychological things to talk about after this. But but this kind of reminds me of and, and I was looking for it. Maybe we can find it before the episode comes out. But I was looking for evidence. I know that there have been studies on essentially people are more likely to remember a mistruth rather than the truth, even after they've learned the truth, as long as the falsehood was sufficiently intriguing, right? Like, um, if I say Richard Gere, this is probably maybe you have to be older to know this one, but like, if I say Richard Gere, does it make you think of anything, Brian? I don't know who that is. (laughs) Oh, he's an actor. (laughs) Yeah, I figured that, but no, tell me more. Okay, well, a long, long time ago, and I'm perpetuating it now. This is how these things work. But a long time ago, there was a rumor that Richard Gere put a gerbil up his butt. (laughs) It probably isn't true. It probably didn't happen. But guess what I think every single time I see Richard Gere now? I think gerbil, right? And I know it didn't happen. I know it's not true. And, I, and I've tagged it as false, but it still pops up every single time that I think of Richard Gere. This is a bad example. I should probably cut this out. No, no, no. This is a good example. And we have a link to, to the actual psychological effect happening here. I mean, we can just keep railing on the problems of social media. But this is a problem of human psychology, which is the thing that you hear first or the thing that you hear most often tends to be the thing that sticks. Yeah, this goes to an old... Um, it's it's attributed to Mark Twain, but I don't think he actually said it. But it's I a, think Mark Twain basically is attributed with any yeah quote any given ever. quote. Yeah, it was a Lincoln <laughs> Twain. Who knows? Um, but uh, basically, the saying is 
A lie can make it around the world before the truth gets its boots on. Yeah, well, it's not only that it spreads faster, but also that like it spreads at all. Like quite mm. often, the fact check on a newspaper article becomes a footnote in next week's edition. Yeah, it's never like a front page correction. Mm-hmm. So the the corrections are always relegated to the footnotes. And uh, we dug into this a little bit. It's actually called the illusory truth effect here which is the tendency to believe false information to be correct after repeated exposure mm-hmm. uh, or the effect that when you've heard something enough that it feels familiar, people feel compelled to believe that it's true. And so, you know, we can see this happen probably in many good ways, right? Like as a leader of an organization, you want to repeat your principles and your company's mission. And, and it's the repetition that continues that momentum of whatever positive thing you're trying to accomplish. But then, of course, this psychology can be abused. And I think this point about mail-in ballots being called fraudulent is the White House playing to this psychological effect Mm -hmm. that if we just say it enough times, it doesn't matter if people know that it's true or false. Like People might know that it's false, but we've said it enough times that their first association with the word is fraud, like whether or not they actually believe that. We're building this word association. Yeah, so how do you combat with that with a product? <laughs> how do you combat millennia of human psychology? Keep track of every single tweet that every single person has ever seen. And when a correction is made to any one of those tweets, pin it to the top of the timeline. There you go. This solution scales. <laughs> uh, so the last, this led me down the rabbit hole a little bit and it led me to another nice bias. I, I kind of like, we should maybe do a principles of design, but like a a list of biases that could have changed the way you design a product. Mm, but here's mm-hmm. a good one, which is hindsight bias, which is the common tendency for people to perceive events that have already occurred as having been more predictable than they actually were before the events took place. Mm-hmm. That's also known as the knew-it-all-along phenomenon, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, yeah, I, I totally could have predicted that the market would have crashed in March, but then by May, it would have rebounded. Of course, I, I knew that that would have happened, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, when in reality, if you did know that, you probably would have made very different life decisions. Yeah, this is also like the, uh, you remember the hits, not the misses, right? So this is the thing of like, you know, I had a dream that my sister was uh, going to get pregnant. And then the next week she called and said that she was pregnant, right? Yeah. Uh, it's like, well, you've probably had that dream a lot before. And then like, this is the only time that it actually came true. And it was really like a week later. And well, you know, anyways, but like that type of thing. Well, that, that what you've just described is I think the most common retort to people thinking that Facebook is spying on their microphone, which is you see a shit ton of ads oh, yeah. online every day. You just yep. see a shit ton. Yep. But as soon as you talk about something, it becomes front of mind. So the next time you see an ad about that thing, you have this sort of confirmation or recency bias to think that the ad appeared because you said something, not because, oh, the ad's just been there all along. I just happen to notice it now that it's something on my mind. Well, and also at the same time, Facebook is trying to get very good at showing you ads that it thinks you will like, (laughs) right? Yeah. Multiply by like friendship affinity scores, multiply (laughs) by location tracking, multiply by, you know, just like topical posting uh, content affinity. And you get a pretty good idea of who shares the same tastes. And then you can, you know, add in what websites they're visiting and how they spend their time online. And it gets pretty, not easy, but certainly more plausible to think that 
the ad is just a result of every other piece of data besides the microphone. I don't know. I, I, I still think it's fun to be on the side of a little bit paranoid that the microphone's always listening. <laughs> All right, let's wrap up. There was a design wedge here, but I'm not sure how to end. I think the point that I wanted to bring up was how fucking hard copywriting is first. (laughs) Yeah. But then, you know, as designers thinking about, like, just we can learn from what's happening on other products when they try to add things like fact disclaimers. Like, did this work? I'm not sure that it actually worked out in Twitter's favor in any way. Time will tell, history will tell, and we'll see how this iterates as, you know, it's clear this is going to happen more because Trump is a compulsive liar. So we'll see more of this. And I'm curious to watch that language evolve. What happens when you click on it? Can they make it more clear whether it's in favor of or debating the content of the tweet? So uh, let's keep an eye on it. All right. Let's do some cool things, Brian. You want to go first? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. So last week we released uh, our short five-minute episode called Black Lives Matter and Someone responded to it who uh, I've met once before but have never really gotten to know super well, and that's Maurice Cherry, and he is the host of a podcast called Revision Path. Yeah. And so my cool thing this week is this week they actually released their 350th episode, so Mm. we are somehow aligning on some (laughs) cosmic podcast release schedule. Yeah, yeah. But this is Revision Path is uh, a weekly showcase of black designers, developers, and digital creatives. And Maurice does in-depth interviews to talk about their work, what they're working on, uh, what inspires them as individuals. Uh, Their show launched in 2013, so it's actually older than Design Details, which is crazy, like seven years of of work here. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you should go check it out. So they just published episode 350, probably as good a place to start as any, but we'll have a link in the show notes. It's revisionpath.com. Go check it out. Cool thing, Brian. Okay, so my cool thing this week was... um, this Londoner musician by the name of Jacob Collier. Brian, you're familiar. I'm not. You're not. Okay. So uh, long story short, this kid's a fucking genius, my friend. And it's been fucking awesome watching all of his interviews and uh, talks. He did like an MIT talk. He did a TED talk. Um, He performs. He sings. He has perfect pitch to the microtone, if you know what a microtone is, Brian. I do not know what a microtone is. I'll link a video where he kind of like goes into the depths of like how he wrote a modulation to G half sharp. What? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. He goes from That's B. He, he goes from B and he plays four chords to G half sharp and it fucking works and it doesn't sound weird at all, even though you would expect it to feel like it's a little bit too sharp or a little bit too flat. It's perfect. Anyways, Jacob Collier, check it out. Hopefully you can... Um, find some escape into like music theory if that's something you're into. Awesome. Yeah, I'm going to check this out. Well, very cool thing. And that sounds like a nice like distraction if you need it. Mm-hmm. He makes beautiful music and crazy, crazy harmonies. Cool. So good music and, and more podcasts. Good distractions uh, for you this week if you need it. There you go. Uh, let's wrap up. Marshall, this has been episode 350 of the Design Details podcast. Uh, we hope everyone out there is doing well. We hope that you're staying safe if you're protesting and out in the streets thank you uh and for everybody else like keep paying attention to what's happening in the world i hope that the boulder has started to nudge and we can keep pushing by uh amplifying people donating reading having conversations with people so let's keep doing that uh, otherwise we'll uh, catch you next week in the meantime you can follow us on twitter and uh check out all the links in the show notes so thanks everyone stay safe 
See you next week. Goodbye. Nate Kedetrukta. What the fuck? I'll, I'll explain the backstory to this one. Oh, was that intentional? I thought you just had a mild stroke or something. No, let me try it again. I'll explain this later. Nate Kedetrakchong. Matthias Klug. Wait, no, that ain't it either, dude. I think you're. Do you know this person? Yes. Oh, you do? And that's how you say it? I don't know how to explain this, Marshall. Uh,. Okay, so it's Gabe. Okay. Gabe has a television show that he introduced to me and a friend in New York. It's called Naked Attraction. Naked Attraction. Oh, my God. <laughs> and oh. he he has been hounding me to make it a cool thing for like a year and a half. And I just tell him no every time. And so he subscribed. And this is his name on Patreon. Oh, my God, Brian. My face hurts from smiling. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, say it however you want to say it, man. I think I'm going to fuck it up just to piss him off. (laughs) Okay.